podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match. I fell into a ring of fire. I fell into a burning ring of fire. Everyone's just chilling and Freddie pretty used to listen to a lot of Elvis and Johnny Cash. That particular day he played this song, he was just smiling and just started singing. And, and all of a sudden the whole dressing room was singing this song. Freddie only had his underpants up on that stage because it was ridiculously hot. The song finished, he said, come on lads. Let's go, and go out and enjoy our game. Just enjoy it. Puts his top on, put his trousers on, went out there, and he was probably the main guy who bowled them out. Well, that was the former England player, O.A. Shah, talking about the Johnny Cash Ring of Fire song, which, of course, they played famously in the dressing room in 2006 when England won in Mumbai. That's pretty much almost the last time they have won, or one of the only times they've won in India over the last 40 years. And we're going to talk about that and we're going to hear from O.S. Shah a bit later. But welcome to the Analyst Insight Cricket, looking ahead to the first test in Hyderabad with me, Simon Hughes. And me, Simon Mann. And we, I suppose we're first, we just have to sort of reflect on the state of the two teams. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, so uh, less than two days from the start of the first test in Hyderabad. And at the moment, we probably have not that much idea about the makeup of the two teams because of all the kerfuffle involved. Players announcing that they're not available, Harry Brook going home for family reasons, etc., etc. So we're slightly in the dark about what both teams' 11s will be. But I suppose we are probably a bit clearer about what the, the eventual outcome might be, Simon. <laughs> what you say? What India five nil? Is that what you're talking well, about? Uh, yours? I think it's sort of. It looks a bit likely four one anyway. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be lots of interesting uh, turning points in the series, which may or may not govern the, the final score. Yeah. Okay. So we are a couple of days before the game. I've come up with an eleven. It wouldn't necessarily be the eleven that I would choose to play the match because obviously you know you'd rather have Harry Brook out there as you know if you're a, an England supporter or whatever. Um, this is the eleven. I think it's going to be sort of closest to what England are going to come up with in the game, and and it's this. It is Duckett, Crawley, Pope, Root, Stokes, Bairstow, Folks, a debut for Hartley, Wood, Robinson. And Leach. So England going with four frontline bowlers. Hartley and Leach to bowl left arm spin against India's right-handers. Wood with a bit of pace and Robinson with some control. And Joe Root to bowl his off-breaks. Now, I gave you that team earlier and you've, you've replied to me, you've only got four main bowlers, exclamation mark, and beep long tail too. Well, what, and I, my, I came back to you and I said, well, you can figure a team that has five bowlers and no long tail. It's pretty difficult to do. Uh, India have got, you know, hold all the cards in, in that uh, sense because they've got about three wicket keepers in their team, all of whom can bat, and they've got about three all-rounders who are all bowl spin, you know, so they, they're, they're well stocked with, with options. For England, 
it's not so easy. Okay, then over to you then, Yoz. You said to me you've only got four main bowlers and you've got a very long tail. How do you, how do you configure the teams that that's not the case? I didn't say I'd have the solution to, to the conundrum here, particularly. Right, I don't okay. think there is a solution. I mean, you made the, the, the good point that Tom Hartley, the left-arm spinner, has a decent batting record as well in his limited mm. first-class experience. with a, 29. Yeah, the average, average is 29, 29 in first-class. With, really. with a score of 73, a best score of 73. Yeah. I mean, that's okay, but that's yeah. okay in county cricket. That's quite good, yeah. but it's slightly different matter when you're playing against India, against the, the class of their spinners. Totally. So, so I, I don't know what the solution is. I, I suppose my inclination, I, my inclination is always to try and play five bowlers, but that the trouble is none of those five bowlers are Chris Wokes, for example, who's not on the tour. So it weakens the batting. It means your tail pretty much starts at number seven if you play uh, Bairstow as keeper and leave out Folks, and I think you probably do need Ben Folks to keep wicket in India because chances are going to be scarce, and you've got to have the best keeper there to take them. And it also takes the pressure off Bairstow slightly. I mean, it's pretty tough to keep wicket for I don't know 140 overs and then and then bat in the top five, which Bairstow probably will. So. You know, that, that's, um... that's very optimistic, Yours thinking England are going to be in the field for 140 overs. <laughs> you think, think, you think 240 <laughs> well, overs? Well, tongue-in-cheek. Well, well, tongue in no, well 140 but, but, overs would be a heck of a lot, won't Anyway, it, I mean, obviously, happens. Root's got to bowl a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but I, I suppose I just worry about England's bowling overall uh, mm. because, well, for a start, you haven't picked Anderson, and I sort of understand why a guy of 41... Uh, didn't have a great Ashes series. He did, however, lead the averages in England's last tour of India in 2021. He averaged 18 with the ball there and did really well. But, you know, three years on, will he still have the same impact? I see I see the, the fact that you probably want to share the load between Robinson and Anderson, similar type of bowlers, and similarly probably with Wood and, and Gus Atkinson, maybe alternate them as well, because you've got back-to-back test matches twice in the five test series. I mean, it's just, it feels like England are clutching. Uh, They've tried to come up with some surprising ideas, like the selection of these two very young spinners, one of whom is not even in India because the the, the visas hadn't yet come through for Shoaib Bashir, who's stuck in the UAE still, as we speak, uh, because of his Pakistani heritage, his Pakistani parents, which often causes problems when you're trying to get visas in India. So, I don't know. I, I know I I haven't got a better option to your uh, side that you've selected there. Really, I mean, I just look at the records of all those players. The last time they were in India, um, Joe Root obviously outstanding, uh, averaged forty six in the last series, but uh, Ollie Pope averaged nineteen, Crawley sixteen, Folks fifteen, Bairstow seven in that previous series three three years ago. And Ben Duckett, who wasn't on that tour, but was on the previous tour to India in 2016, played two tests, averaged six. <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 the batting records are not great, which is why I, want to, I feel like I want to play an extra batter. But the balance of the side is so difficult to manage and, uh, if you do that. So, well... You know, I haven't painted a very kind of optimistic picture generally, have I? <laughs> well, I, I think the thing is, I mean, if if Brooke had been there, then I think it, presumably, I presume that Bester would have kept wicket unless they they left Ollie Pope 
out of the side. The thing is, they, they were able to solve the problem in the ashes in the summer because they had Mo and Ali, remember, who batted at number three. They bumped him up to number three and he was able to bowl some overs of, of Ospin. And he took a, a couple of you know, very uh, important wickets, no, notably in that match at Headingley. So they had that option. That, was, that actually helped them balance the side, strangely, Pope's injury. But now Pope is back. He's, I mean, he was the vice-captain when he was playing. So, you, I mean, you presume he's going to come back into the England side. So, therefore, you know, you, you have folks keeping wicket with no brook there. And there is one other option, and that is to uh, leave Ben Folks out, Bairstow keep wicket, and have Rayan Ahmed batting at number seven. I mean, he looks a bit high in the order at this stage at number seven, to, mm. to me, as a, you know, yeah. a test match player. Obviously, it does give you that extra bowling option. It gives you three or stroke four spinning options. I suppose they could. I mean, it depends on the surface yours in Hyderabad. I mean, Brendan McCullum said that I think he thinks the ball will spin. That's Kel Surprise. Uh, so they, they could go one and three. They could go three spinners and, and one pace bowler. I mean, that, that is another possibility as well. So it's just a question of trying to find the the balance uh, for the team. If it's going to be a raging turner, if you look up and see the pitch dry or oh, cracked or whatever, you could go that way. So I mean that's a, a another potential option as well. So I just think that to, for me it seems to me that that is going to be the likely balance of England side with folks keeping wicket, two spinners, one of them's bound to be Leach, you think, and probably the other one, you know, it, it probably is going to be uh, Tom Hartley. Uh, to make his debut, and then two pace bowlers, and then you can perm two from four. Uh, I would go the extra pace of Wood at the start, and Robinson or Anderson. Well, I, you know, I think Robinson, you know, younger man. Yeah, I, I think I'd go with him, but it could easily be Anderson. Anyway, th that's the sort of framework that you're trying to fit the the pieces into, and those those are the options uh, really for England. So that's that's my mm. thought. That's the hunch I have about the England eleven. It may be a bit askew but I think I think that's the balance they're going to go with anyway so it is going to be a trial by spin there's no doubt about that uh, that's what's proved to be the success uh, formula for India in uh, their previous 10 years pretty much uh, if you look mm. at their record over 10 years they've only lost three test matches out of 40 at home in their last 10 years of test cricket in that time Ashwin and Jadeja their two kingpin spinners have shared 409 wickets at 20, uh, average 20. So uh, that that's one indication of, of the kind of strategies that they're likely to, to pursue. And just kind of looking at the two sides, uh, uh, the, the stark contrast in their spinners' records, Indian spinners combined four spinners that they've selected in their squad, Jadeja, Ashwin, Aksar Patel, who caused England so many problems three years ago with those flat left-arm spinners, and also Kuldeep Yadav, the wrist spinner, between them they have 849 test wickets. And England's four spinners on tour, two of whom have never played test cricket, and Jack Leach and Rayan Ahmed, they have 131 test wickets, of which Leach has 124. So the other three England spinners, apart from Leach, have seven test wickets between them. And obviously, two haven't even played. So it does. It you know that tells you uh, that that is a chasm between the two teams' bowling attacks. And look, Hyderabad is not the kind of raging Bunsen Turner that Burner that that you you necessarily get in some places in India like Chennai. But they'll make it. They'll make it turn for sure. And their their strategy will be to to try and bat first and probably bat once and bat long. And then just let the spinners go. 
without, uh, we shouldn't overlook, of course, uh, the skill of Bumrah, Jasper Bumrah, and Mohamed Siraj as well, who are both very good, both with the new ball and actually with the older ball. They're very skillful with reverse swing. So reverse swing is going to come into it, as we heard from Stephen Finn in last week's podcast, talking about bowling in India. Reverse swing is a big thing. And, you know, both Wood Anderson, Robinson's learning that, that craft as well. Uh, Gus Atkins is probably a bit less experienced, but you know that that is another you know a, a little bit of a weapon. But I st- I, even that, even in that area, I think India have the advantage. Mm. Yeah, no Virat Kohli. We, have, we haven't actually spoken much about that uh, so far for India. No Virat Kohli for the first two Test matches. He's out for for personal reasons as well. And as we speak, we don't know what India are going to do in terms of a replacement. By the time you listen to this, it might well have been announced. But but no Kohli. I mean, it sounds like it's a daft question. How much of a setback is that for India? I think you feel with no Cody that India are good enough to replace him. Is is, is that fair? I mean, Pajara is is no, is, a, is a possibility. I, I have to disagree with you there. I, you I think, mean, you, yeah, you think that's a massive miss for I them? I do, do think it's a massive miss for them. I mean, it, it, you know, he averages very high at home. It was a high, so mid fifties, and uh, I think it's his drive, his energy, his ambition, his winning kind of mentality that really infuses the whole team. I'm not saying the others aren't winners as well, but Kohli's desire and passion is so powerful that I think that will it will be missed. And, uh, and you know, when you think about bowling against India, you think about really two players. You think about Rohit Sharma, who is obviously a, a, a regal opening batsman and has a, is able to adapt his game now. I mean, he played that innings in... Uh, Chennai in the second test match in 2021 was a really difficult pitch and he played supremely well. Wonderful innings, yeah. Incredible innings, got 100 and, you know, took took the game away from England and they couldn't bat on the same pitch. Nobody else could. But Coley as well is someone who's so imposing as a player and he's got that sort of aura about him, which especially if you've got a young bowling attack or an inexperienced bowling attack, is quite daunting. Uh, No other batter in that lineup. You wouldn't fear Pajara in the same way. No way. I mean, he's got a pretty good record, but he he lunges at the ball. He's covered in, you know, sort of protection. He never looks that good. (laughs) Whereas Kohli, you feel on his day, if it is his day, he's just going to dominate and be like a a brick wall, you know, just his bat two yards wide. You can't get past. So, yeah, I think he is a big loss. Yeah, well, I'm I'm you know, I'm persu- prepared to be persuaded of that. Yeah, that he, I mean, clearly he's a high class a player who, who churns them out. I, I think that the only point I was making was that in Indian conditions, I think they can compensate uh, for the loss of, of Virat Kohli, and you know they are strong enough elsewhere, and they're strong enough in who you know whoever they bring in to compensate for that. I mean, I bear in mind that it, that England have in their last. What is it? Eight test matches against India in India have lost seven of them and have been thrashed in every one. They've not just been beaten in every one. They have been annihilated in every one. So, you know, there's a bit of slack there. You don't necessarily need Kohli to, to, you know, to, to beat England. I think that's what I'm saying. You don't need, it doesn't need to be there for India to win the match. I suppose the most two most famous tours that England have made to India in the last 40 years is the 1984-85 tour uh, when England won a, a tough series. 
there with sterling performances by the likes of Mike Gatting, Graham Fowler made a double hundred, Neil Foster took lots of wickets and made the ball swing. And that was a, under David Gower. That was an incredible achievement. And then in 2012, uh, obviously they won with Alistair Cook and Kevin Peterson dominant in that 2012 side. Uh, and they won 2 1 that series. We talked to Stephen Finn about that in the last episode of this podcast. But since that 1984 85 triumph, they've played 24 tests in India and won only four. Two in that 2012 series, one in 2006, and we'll come to that, and one in the last series in 2021, the first test of that last series. So it, you know, it shows the, the enormity of the challenge. And I just thought we'd to dwell on just for a minute, why is it so difficult to play in India? Well, obviously, it's spin that dominates. And it's just scoring against spin is so difficult. And, and I, I know Shah, who was our guest in the World's Best Cricket Club last week, um, talked actually about why he was good at playing spin was because he was brought up with it in Pakistan. He faced it on rough pitches when he was in his teens. And he said even they used to play corridor cricket after their supper. He'd go into the corridor of his house and uh, you had a chair either side of the bat and they were the two close fielders. And, you know, if you popped a ball up in the air to either side of the, the wicket to the chair, you were out. So... You, you learnt to be very good with your defence and not worry, actually, about those close fielders. But because there are not very many high-class spinners in England, the modern English batter is not used to playing top-quality spin, especially in spinning conditions. And when you get spinning conditions, I, I think one of the biggest problems with spin is that the ball pitches nearer to you than from a seam bowler. It pitches probably two to three yards in front of the batsman instead of four or five yards in front for a seamer. So you once the ball changes direction on pitching, you've got less time to to change your shot. Obviously, the bowling is slightly slower, but it's that much nearer to you when it lands and it suddenly changes direction, or sometimes it goes straight. When it's supposed to spin, it doesn't. And and you've got less time to, to change your, your method. And also, of course, you've got DRS now, which, again, doesn't exist in county cricket, first-class cricket. You don't have DRS but in test cricket you do. So hit on the pads, <laughs> invariably you're out, um, even on review. And so it just makes it so much more difficult. And the, the most skillful players of spin, especially in India, are the ones who play shots against the spin. And that sounds a sort of confusing term because, of course, they're placing spin against the spin. Against the spin, it means against the direction of the spin. So if you're a right-hander facing an off-spinner, you try, if you're a good player, to score on the offside. The ball is spinning from off to leg. And the conventional idea is to play with the spin, to work it through the leg side with the spin. But actually, the most profitable areas, partly because there's less fielders on the offside, is to open the face with the right-hander and, and play against the spin. It's a difficult shot and it's a dangerous shot to play. And the key to it is reading length right. If you get the length wrong, if you read the length wrong and it's a good length ball and you try and drive, you'll get either bowled or caught at slip because the ball will have had enough time to change direction. But if you can get closer to the ball and make it into a half volley, then you can drive it through the offside. Raul Travid, the Indian coach, was absolutely brilliant at that and actually recommended famously to Kevin Peterson 
that that was the the answer to his problems, you know, 10 years ago or so. So you're talking about, so play through the offside against the off-spin bowler off the front foot, off the back foot, well, play, well, with, play with the spin, no, or still I mean play either. through the offside off no, the back foot? You can foot. still play off the back foot um, through the offside as well. And um, you, 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 again, you've got to pick length, but that's where Root is very good. I mean, obviously he's got various other options. He's got sweeps and reverse sweeps, which he utilises extremely effectively. But, you know, in a way, his sort of go-to shot will be to quick, quickly get back onto the back foot when it's slightly short and look to hit through the offside, probably off both off-spin and left-arm spin, uh, partly because there are less fielders on that side, especially against the off-spinner. So, no, back foot or front foot, and the key is getting the length right because if you go back to a ball which is a bit too full, you'll get bowled or LBW, and if you go forward to a ball which isn't quite full enough, you'll get a bat pad and got get caught in the cordon. So... It's all about selecting length and not getting caught half and half, not getting uh, sort of half forward and then sticking the bat out in hope and it ricochets off the glove or off the inside edge and is a simple catch. Mm. It's, a, it's about identifying exactly what that length is and getting your footwork right. Yeah, so that's one major problem, playing the spin. Because the other thing is that India have got some class pace bowlers as well. And the other thing is, well, their batters are used to playing on those sort of pitches. So they've got that covered as well. So I mean, it's, it's such a really difficult task that England face in the next few weeks. I think we all know that. And actually, just, just, just on the difficulty of playing teams at home, I've just very quickly some stats on that. Since England won in India last time round, India have won 76.5% of their home matches. Australia, who are very good at home, have won 74, so just a little bit better. And in and England, we think, you know, are quite good at home, don't we? We think, you know, since 2012, they've won 57.5% of their matches. So that just shows, you know, again, another stat that just illustrates how good India are at home. Yeah, and it does, and it, it does mean that test victories in India are a rarity. And we'll talk about one of those test victories after the break with O.A. Shah, who featured in that 2006 tour. So the first test of this series, which, by the way, is known as the Anthony de Mello series, the Anthony de Mello trophy. Any idea why? Go on. I looked him up, actually. I, I had no idea either. He's a Jesuit priest and psychotherapist. Uh, and the series in India between England and, in, and India and England are now known as the Anthony de Mello trophy matches. Anyway, at the first test is in Hyderabad, uh, which is the city of Bangles. <laughs> so anyone who's going or is there, um, great, great place for silver bangles. That's what they, what they pride themselves on. And uh, the, a brand new stadium. I played at the old stadium, actually, which was a bit crumbly and a bit crummy. But it's a brand new stadium now. Uh, the, actually, it was the last time I saw Ben Stokes's father was in Hyderabad following the Rajasthan Roars when Ben Stokes was playing for them against the uh, Sunrisers Hyderabad. And uh, wow, what a, a wonderful moment that was, actually, sharing a... Uh, a balcony with Jed Stokes, Ben's father, and the enthusiasm he showed uh, for his son and for the game generally, which they they lost. 
after an incredible partnership between Bearstow and David Warner playing for Sunrisers Hyderabad. Flat pitch on that day. It may not be uh, for this first test match. And it's also the home of Mohammad Azharuddin, the famous Indian batsman and captain. Uh, incredible player who was also banned subsequently to retirement for match fixing. Uh, a ban which was rescinded in 2012. Is that the right word, Simon? He was banned in 2000 for match fixing, banned for life, and it was overturned in the courts in 2012. And there is now a stand named after him at the Rajiv Gandhi International Stadium in Hyderabad. So he obviously blotted his copybook there, but he was a brilliant player um, who I tried to bowl at. Um, he had an extraordinary suppleness of, of wrist. In fact, I, I remember, I mean, he was famous for his wristy flicks through the leg side. And we uh, tried to account for that by bowling outside off stump. I was playing for a touring team in Hyderabad and we played against a sort of Indian eleven. and Azza was captain. This is in the late 80s. And we, we tried to counter the fact that he was wristily flicking it through the leg side by bowling a bit wide outside off stump. And he was able to carve the ball through the offside as a result of that. So he bowled even wider and packed the offside. And then he, without even kind of uh, blinking, he just hit the same ball, which was about a foot wide of off stump, through square leg. Um, like with, with these sort of revolving wrists. And absolutely brilliant player. Uh, very nonchalant, actually, as well. Not the type of player that was sort of power-packed uh, that you'd see now, just timing and exquisite placement of the ball uh, absolutely brilliant player and interestingly O.A. Shah had reached a bit of a crossroads in his own career uh, he was a prodigy at Middlesex I remember seeing him come on board when he was about 15 thinking blimey he's incredibly good even then playing for Middlesex I second. played against him in club cricket yours. I remember playing against him in club cricket when he was a 14 year old and everyone was talking about him then all oh, this OH in fact I remember the, there was one weekend we played against him and everyone said oh yeah he's just come back from playing for England under 15s this week and there, you know there we were playing against him in a, in a club match so you know there's a lot of chatter about him as a as a young teenager Here's a, a fact no one probably knows my father actually coached him uh, at Ealing Cricket Club, he made a, a brief entry into club cricket playing for Ealing when he was about 14. And my dad was district under-15s coach and, you know, took him on, obviously, because he was so good. He was way better than anyone else. You know, I think he made, for Wickham House, which was his previous club, he made 154 in a league game, first 11 league game, when he was 12. So he really was a, an absolute prodigy. My dad, luckily, didn't have much influence on him because my dad wasn't the greatest batting coach, actually. And so I think he moved on fairly soon after that. Mm. I, I remember playing against him that, that weekend after he'd come back from England under-15s. I think I might have told this story before, but I remember sweeping him before because he was quite a good off-spinner as well. And he appealed for LBW. I thought, I've just hit you for four and you've appealed for LBW. And that was a really bizarre moment. That sort of like real sort of aggression that, you know, that, that sort of county cricketers, England cricketers have in the, in the, in the making. But there's also, I mean, in the club I play for, North London, there, you know, there's, a, yeah, people, there's a guy called Ian Matichek who dines out on it. And Ian, Ian was a sort of 
trundling medium pacer, sort of mainly a second team bowler really, but he was playing in the first team. He wasn't the, he wasn't the most svelte of cricketers and he trundled in, bowled his first ball to Oasha. He bowled him a full bunger and he tried to flick it through the onside. He missed it and was LBW and he dines out on that story uh, and quite rightly too as well. Um, but I mean, he, he loved it. We loved it because we knew how good a player he was, you know, as, you know, even as a teenager. But I mean, the thing that Owens always had above all, apart from, you know, great ability was attitude. He was really ambitious, even as a youngster. And he'd got picked for England's one-day side and done pretty well in the early 2000s, but hadn't quite progressed to full test status. He decided, I need to talk to anyone I can, any great player I can find, to try and get me to the, the, to the top level. Uh, he'd seek out anyone who could help him improve. And one of those people was Mohammad Azharuddin in India. I realised what my potential was, and... I wanted to, you know, get to the top. That's how, I guess, maybe I was wired that way. And I just wanted to do it. So if that was the route, then that was the route. Go and ask questions from a guy who played 99 test matches for India. Um, and then, yeah, so he actually changed my game, changed how I held the bat, which was uh, something that he did himself after Zahir Abbas, who played for Pakistan, helped him in the same manner. Funny enough, Azuddin, he, he actually told me the story. I said, how, firstly, I said, how on earth are you expecting me to hold this bat the way you're asking me to bat? I said, it's very weird. Uh, anyway, so we, he said, look, Zahir Abbas told me when I was struggling with my game and it's changed my game. So I said, okay, no worries. Uh, and this conversation happened in the nets when I went to India, when I went to Hyderabad and saw him. We had nets and he said, right, I want you to hold the bat this way and, I want you, and I'm going to throw some balls at you. I said, okay. And he said, hit this ball here. And I did it. He said, hit this ball there, hit this ball there, hit this ball there. And I did everything what he said with that funny grip. He said, well, there you go. You can do it. I said, yeah, do it. But it's bloody difficult. It's very awkward. He said, trust in this and your game's going to go through the roof. So I persevered with it for two months. And then I remember playing one particular innings against, I said, I got a hundred. In a run chase, we were chasing 220 on a day four wicket against Mushtaq. I used that grip and uh, I got 100. I got half the score. My discipline outside of stump was, even I'm saying, it was outstanding. I was so happy and impressed with myself. The fact that I didn't bother playing anything outside my eye line because I just couldn't really, because this grip was restricting me playing through the offside. And what that meant to me was all of a sudden my game was condensed. A little bit how Alistair Cook's game was. Cut, clip, pull, right? Achieved greatness for England. And I looked at that and I thought, you know what? I've got every shot in the book, but it's not about every shot in the book. It's about how efficient you are when the ball is in your area. So I looked at that and I thought, you know what? I'm going to stick with this from now on for the rest of my career. So I, I think one of the things that, that Azza really helped with, and by the way, that grip he talks about that changed was a, what he calls a reverse V. So almost flipping your right hand, your bottom hand, uh, upside down to hold the, the bat in a different way. Very difficult to do. Uh, so normally the two Vs between your thumb and first finger pointing down the back of the bat. But this was turning the hand almost right round uh, so that it was sort of facing behind you. Uh, with the with the, the the back of your hand facing the bowler, very difficult to do. But obviously, Oas mastered it, and it was one of the things that helped him. I think hit against the spin. Well, I've just tried that. I was just trying that, yours to do it. It mm. seems almost impossible to do it. Yeah. You know, to get the back it, of the hand does. 
facing the bowl actually causes me a pain in my arm to try to, to get are, the hand We are, round. you know, in, the, in our later years, though, probably not as, <laughs> as flexible as when you're 24. So anyway, it, it brought him considerable success, prosperity in the county championship and a selection on a Lions tour and then called up from the Lions tour at the last minute to join the England 2006 Tour of India because of a couple of players who'd gone home. Marcus Roscothic, you remember, had gone home with a stress-related illness and also Michael Vaughan was injured, so he'd gone home. So they needed a couple of batting replacements. Alistair Cook was one and Oish Shah, coming from West Indies Lions Tour, was the other. And they joined the, the, the squad. Cook, of course, made his debut famously and scored 100 on his on his debut, but always hadn't had a chance and thought he was pretty much written off even when they were arriving at the third test in Mumbai. Duncan Pleasure announced the team the night before for the third test and I wasn't in it. You know, as he was talking about the team and he was naming everyone, I was like, uh, you know, he, he sort of said, K and KP's at four and Collie's at five. And I was like, oh, damn, I I'm not in this team here. But I would have been top four, five anyway. I was going to be batting six, seven. And I remember that, geez, when am I actually going to get, a, get an opportunity here? Because he's just announced a third test team. We're one nil down. If they're not going to make a change after a loss, when will we? Anyway, I was pretty disappointed. I went, went to my room. I was, I was actually very, very disappointed, in fact. And I actually, my wife was there at the time. And I said to her that I'm, uh, I'm not playing. So next four or five days, it's going to be a little bit boring. But it is what it is. Uh, hopefully, somehow, we can get a bloody win back and draw the series. I remember waking up in the morning feeling very sick because of the fact that I wasn't in the team. I was just like, oh, my God. Because I, I had a really good summer. I think I was mm. leading run scorer in, the, in England with 1,750 runs. Hence, obviously, going on to the A tour. And then, of course, got the not for the main tour. And I remember in the morning, I woke up, had a shower, and I was thinking, i got to do all that work again <laughs> to get in that test squad. And it was really eating away at me anyway. I got out of the shower, went into the bus, and Fletch sat in the first chair behind the driver, and he just tapped me on the arm as I went past him. He said, prepare to play. And I was like, what? I mean, I didn't say what, but I sort of went, mm. okay. And then I just carried on. And I'm thinking, is he playing those mind games or something just to see how professional I am and do I prepare the right way? I don't know. So then I looked around and as I walked through the bus, I let her look and I counted everyone and everyone was there, which so I was like, what's he going on about? Anyway, I ignored it. I listened to my iPod anyway. I sat, I sat down and I didn't really think much of it. I got to the ground. Typically, everybody goes to the dressing room. You know, everybody gets changed for a warm up, go outside. I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered to warm up. I'm not bloody playing. So I just sat around listening to my music till it was really time to go and, you know, do the team warm-up. So I sat around, nothing was really said. And then I came back into the dressing room and then sat down. So no, typically um, we, we had like probably 45 minutes before the start of play where everybody has their own time. You, you can do whatever you want, you've got 45 minutes. So I, I'm not playing. So I went and just sat and just, just sitting around just like, ugh. Got a cup of tea and biscuit and just chilling. And Alistair Cook, actually, funny enough, came and sat right next to me because we were changing next to each other. And he was upset, almost sort of borderline crying. He had a few tears in his eyes. And I was like, mate, what's up with you? It's just a game of cricket. Just chill. And he won test match. He got 100. And he said, mate, I'm not playing. I said, what do you mean you're not playing? He said, I've been up all night. Uh, the old deli belly. 
So at that point, when he said that, I looked and I went, oh my God, I've only got like 10 minutes before the toss, uh, which happens, which is where the captain, of course, has to name the team. So I quickly ran out. And as I ran out, Fletch was coming towards me to say, you're playing. So, okay, so, so you make your debut. You were batting first, weren't you? England were batting first. Well, that we was that famous, first, so... It was that famous test when Dravid decided to, to field, wasn't it? When everyone thought he should bat. Correct. So he yeah. wins a toss uh, and he wins a toss and puts England in, which everyone's shocked yeah. about because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good wicket. There wasn't really much turn. What was your batting strategy then on that particular day? Just continue what I had been doing in the summer. For me, batting is about, about bringing your, your natural instinct, which is for me was uh, attack and then defend. Um, and I'd done that right the way throughout the summer. Uh, having a very, very good summer, hence finding yourself uh, at the international stage. But it was the secret is for me was uh, not to change anything because I'm here for a reason. And the success that I've had doing what I'm doing or thinking how I'm thinking, I've just got to continue that way. And I just thought it was just a game of cricket and just go, go bring my game to India. So always had a superb test match. He made 88 in his first innings. And actually, the one thing he was hampered by wasn't so much the spin or the the, bat it, the, the fielders around the bat. It was cramp. Uh, he kept getting cramped, do you remember, in his hands mm. and having to retire. In fact, he had to retire her on the first day and come back on the second day. He admits it was because he just wasn't taking on enough fluid. It was very hot in Mumbai. And he's someone who sweats a lot anyway. And he just hadn't had the, the hydration that he needed. And so he kept retiring her. And in the end, sadly, missed out on... Uh, a debut 100, but then made a, a, a useful innings 38 in the second innings as well, setting up a, a run chase for India. But they were looking pretty solid. And of course, they were 1-0 up in the series, India. They'd won the second test uh, in Mahali. So they were 1-0 up in the series and heading for a draw in the third test. We come to the fifth day, and this is where the, the ring of fire Johnny Cash comes in because England go to lunch with India only three wickets down on the last day and pretty much demoralised and feeling this is going to be another serious loss to India. We came off at lunchtime. The game was sort of heading towards a draw. and They didn't look in that much trouble, really. The ball was reversing a little bit, nothing amazing. Basically, we, had, we all had lunch. We just had those spare 10 minutes before we went out. Everyone's just chilling and Freddie, Freddie used to live, listen to a lot of Elvis and Johnny Cash, singers that I'd never freaking heard of. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I never heard their music. I'd heard of, of course, Elvis. Uh, and when he would play it, I'd be like, man, you're stuck in those 60s and 70s. You're so boring. That particular day, he played this song. And Freddie being Freddie, being a bit of a clown, he was, of course, captain. And I, I guess I actually think it's a really good bit of leadership, actually. He broke that that tension in the dressing room, will we lose a series? And everyone's a little bit, oh, we don't look like, you know, we're not penetrating the batting. We can't get through the middle order. He was just smiling and just started singing and everyone, and for some reason, it was just one of those moments in life or in sport, you can call it, that he started singing. Then I remember somebody else started singing and he started clapping and everybody started joining in and everybody started clapping and whoever knew the words was singing. And, and all of a sudden, the whole dressing room was singing this song. With, you know, there was no no Churchillian speech. Come on, lads, you're going to get them out. There was none of that. It was just this song. It was like, even I, who didn't really like that genre of music, was actually quite into it, clapping and stuff. I was like, this is quite, quite good fun, actually. And then the song went on and, and it finished. And then 
Freddie only had his underpants on at that stage because it was ridiculously hot. The song finished, he said, come on, lads, let's go, and go out and enjoy our game. Just enjoy it. Puts his top on, put his trousers on, went out there, and he was probably the main guy who bowled them out. The ball was reversing, and he got, I remember Yuvraj Singh got caught at, caught behind by Garrett Jones. Really good catch. Took it in front of me, actually. I was the first slip. And then, yeah, and then we rattled through them. And then I remember Sean Udell picked up a few wickets. Udell got Tendulkar out, and all of a sudden, things just evolved. And, and it was just a really good passage of play for two hours. We, we didn't really look like winning at that lunchtime. And all of a sudden, went on to win that test match. Um, after the test match, I was speaking to the Indian guys, and they said, what was going on at lunchtime? All we could hear was you guys singing. <laughs> and I said, man, our captain's a bit of a character. It was his <laughs> way off, maybe, I don't know, just, just releasing the tension in his bloody work. So he certainly did. So we walked away with a 1-1. One, one. So England seemingly inspired by that, uh, but India a bit befuddled by it, you know, hearing the music coming out of the England uh, dressing room uh, at lunchtime. And yeah, and they, they wrapped up the match actually pretty smartly in the, in the afternoon. Now, they, you know, it wasn't a race against time. You think three wickets down at lunch, you know, it's going to go right to the end. But my memory of it was England won well inside the distance. And there was another extraordinary moment to come as well. With the four wickets for Udall, Flintoff, as O.A. said, took some key wickets. There was also MS Dhoni's dismissal on the final day where, I mean, in those days, Dhoni was a real hitter, wasn't he? I mean, he didn't, he became a much cannier uh, batter as time went on and actually quite defensive at times but that day and that part of his career he was a hitter and he was trying to take the bowling on he whacked one up in the air Monty Panesar was underneath it well we thought he was underneath it he should have been underneath it I, I think at mid-off but it actually it landed about 10 yards away from him he didn't even get near it it was like a sort of moment where everyone just froze and he froze and then I think just next over or the over afterwards Dhoni did it again up in the air, very similar situation. This time, Monty thought, I've got to go for it this time. This is MS Dhoni, you've got to get him out. And everyone who of an England persuasion in the ground, and there were a lot of England supporters there, well, cheered and then breathed a sigh of relief. And I think actually Monty probably breathed a sigh of relief more than actually celebrating the, the catch. And mm. it, was, it was a memorable last day, it really was. Mm. I think he was still going for the first one, Monty, wasn't he? <laughs> he was in position for the first one and he caught the second one. Anyway, it was an amazing win by England. And of course, it was brought on by the fact initially mm. that India totally went against their normal ploy. Raul Dravid was captain and he decided to field first on a, a Mumbai pitch, which was turning by about the third day or even the second day. And yet he decided to field first and England got enough runs to then almost boss the game. Uh, so, you know, I don't think India have ever decided to field first since in, mm. in a test match at home. Well, that was an extraordinary. I mean, it's, I mean, you, some people think of it as the Ring of Fire test match. I think it, of it as the Raul Dravid put England in a test match. You look at the scores, they just went down throughout the game. 400, 279, 191, 100. It just got progressively harder to bat and it, you know, it, was, it was quite slow as well it was really difficult I mean India were chasing well somewhere in the region of you know, to win the game somewhere around about the 300 mark to win the game but you know, got nowhere near it was it was a real struggle for them so yeah England managed to to draw the series and as you rightly say there have only been three England victories since then in India yeah they are so dominant I wonder what sort of pitch we're going to get in Hyderabad I've just had a quick look at the, the pitches for the that have been I've had a look at the 
results of the matches that have been played in Hyderabad. You said it's a new ground. It's a relatively new ground. There has been some test cricket in one day. It's played there. The World Cup was played there. Five test matches, four huge uh, India victories, and one draw in the first game in which Brendan McCullum for New Zealand made a double hundred. Looked a pretty flat pitch back there in, in 2010. But since then, you know, four crushing India victories. Actually, the, interestingly, the last time India won a test match there, 2018, Umesh Yadav got 10 wickets. So... That might, you know, just an indication there that it might just not all be about spin. And one-day pitches there, generally good. The high, it was a high-scoring game between Sri Lanka and Pakistan there in the World Cup, where Pakistan chased 340-odd, and two very high-scoring games in T20 matches. Anyway, that's just a bit about the pitch. So, you know, it can be good there. And in, in the 10 one-dayers played, there only one score of under 200. So, on the face of it, Chennai, as you rightly say, it is not. But we'll we'll see what the surface is like on Thursday morning. Just some comments from Brendan McCullum. He said, you know, it will spin, but I think, you know, not necessarily rag from the start. That was his thought about the pitch. Well, certainly the the lesson from the last couple of tours, well, if you look back to that 2006 match, the lesson from that is relax as you're going out for the final session and, and play a, a favourite tune. And from 2012, it was dominate with the bat but also have good spinners and so that's where England maybe just will fall down but I, I, I hope that they can find the way to make runs and they will be aggressive uh, you, you don't want to be sort of reckless in India and you certainly want to try and rotate the strike I think Ben Duckett will be good at that and um, we haven't mentioned him much I mean he toured India in 2016 but he's a much better player than that now and I think he will he will understand the way of playing. Zach Crawley might get a bit exposed. He might even open the bowling with a spinner, maybe in the second innings of test uh, of, of test matches. So, you know, there's going to be a challenge for England. But maybe they'll find what they need to do is win the toss and bat and bat well, and then, as say Sean Udall showed, a fairly inexperienced uh, spin bowler, you can make telling influences in in test matches in India, if you've got the runs to play with. Hmm. Okay, Oz, we probably should just finish with our rough uh, predictions for the series, a hostage to fortune. Uh, I think India will win the series. Um, I predict, this is not the most bold prediction, but they will not win it 5-0. That's okay. my prediction. India All will right. not win the series 5-0, but they will win the series. Okay, well, what are you going to go with? I'll go for one. I mean, I, I don't know. I, England might just sneak a, a victory somewhere. Uh, so I'll go, I'll, I'll go for one. I think it'll be, if they do, it'll be later in the series. I think India will be too strong initially. And I do think they should have had a warm-up game in India. I know that they like to control their, their preparation and that you don't know what you're going to get when you tour a, a country like India. You might get some a fairly low string, second string, third string attack to face on a ropey pitch. It might not be much of a help, but I still think you can just acclimatise a bit more. And they're coming in pretty cold. Well, you made the point as well that if England got there earlier, then it might be that they might be able to get a visa in time for Shoa Bashir in the sense that, you know, the, the, the wheels had been set in motion a bit earlier. I mean, it's not great that he hasn't got a visa. I mean, it really isn't. But, you know, you're right. If, they, if they'd been there 10 days a week, then... A bit, a bit more of a fuss would have been kicked up a bit earlier, and you know yeah. this problem uh, would have been solved. I mean, it's not great to get to the the country that you're playing in three days before, and it's certainly not great to get there without all your the team that you've selected or the squad that you've selected. Anyway, Yos, we will be back 
on uh, Thursday oh. afternoon yeah, to reflect on the first day uh, from Hyderabad. Our normal podcast service resumed after each day of each match in the series over the next, uh, what, six, seven weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. I mean, it'll be an in- intriguing series, if not necessarily a satisfactory one from England's point of view. But we'll see. You never know. With the baseball kind of ethos, it's it's unpredictable. It's all to play for. So we're looking forward to it. It's on TNT, by the way, uh, which is the company that took over BT Sport, TNT. Uh, they've been showing they've shown the, some of the West Indies uh, matches that England played recently as well. Uh, so it's on TNT. It starts at 4.30 a.m. in the morning on Thursday morning. And just another little tip, by the way, the latest Storylines episode of our sister podcast uh, is all about university cricket, actually, and some really interesting stuff from girls playing university cricket and the challenges there. Anyway, join us after play on Thursday. See you then. Yep, goodbye for now. Jasper Bumrah, by the way, says... Basball will get me heaps of wickets. We shall see. Bye-bye for now. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher. And it burns, 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 the ring of fire, the ring of fire. And it burns, 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 the ring of fire, the ring of fire. Podcast Network.